Hello and welcome back to the Happy Smiling People podcast. Today I am joined by sports broadcaster Orla Shenoui. In this episode we discuss tactics for discovering self-fulfillment rather than seeking constant external validation, what happiness actually is, things that can help us feel less overwhelmed, learning to care about our own opinion of ourselves rather than people's perception of us, the value of hard work and self-belief, how every minute counts and the difference living intentionally has made to Orla's life and so much more. Having watched hours of bike racing in my time, Orla's voice is a familiar one to me and she's undoubtedly been one of my dream guests to have on this podcast. It was such a pleasure to speak with her and discuss her passion project, 10 Times Braver. I learned a lot from this episode and I think it's so important to discuss these topics and normalise the journeys and stages of life that we all go through. Do make sure you are following the show. We have lots of amazing guests coming up and you don't want to miss out. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please rate the show five stars. And without further ado, enjoy. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Emily. It's a pleasure to join you. You have done many incredible things in your career. You've sports journalism, presenting, live events. What is something that stands out to you as a major highlight? In my career? Oh, that's a curveball straight off the bat. Um, what stands out? I mean, I guess any Olympic coverage that I've had the privilege of doing stands out quite a lot because it's um it doesn't come around very often you know and especially the Tokyo games we had to wait an extra year for that and so I find that the challenge of preparing for the Olympic games is quite huge because you're covering so many sports that a you don't usually cover but b also don't get very much coverage so you're having to do so much homework on athletes who then may or may not be the people that you're speaking to and rules of a sport that you may have known very little about. I mean, I became an expert in canoe slalom during the Tokyo Games, which I wouldn't have expected before. Um, and so they tend to be huge moments, I think. And and also because an Olympic Games tends to represent, I think quite strongly, what I love about sport. And that is this personal endeavour and the um, sacrifice that is put into a sport for very little reward. If you're covering, you know, premiership football, the rewards are very obvious and they're weekly and, you know, they they appear in your bank balance and you get the status that comes with it and all the prestige and a lifestyle that comes with it. With an Olympic Games, any Olympian is pushing themselves to their very limit just to see if they can. And I think in terms of human exploration and show and showing and seeing how far we can push ourselves I find that a very noble endeavor and also fascinating and a bit mind-blowing to be honest so I think the Olympics for me really taps into everything that I love about sport so maybe in the Olympics but I would have to say as well my on the other end of the scale my own passion project of 10 times braver which is I know we'll probably get to talk about it but something that for me was entirely just putting myself out there and investing in something that I wanted to do simply for personal growth and curiosity and and try to find connection with people was something so totally different really from other things that I'd done and took a lot of digging into my own inner bravery so I would say probably that's the one that means the most to me on a very personal level so one on a professional level would be any Olympic game coverage which I'm really excited about Paris this year 
And then the other in terms of my own personal growth and where I'm trying to find meaning in life, probably 10 times braver. I'm lucky that I have the, that I'm overwhelmed by choices, really. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think it's, it's super interesting that we divide it into sections. It's like, obviously, you have the major stage of the Olympics, which is incredible for any athlete. It's the pinnacle. It's the it's the mm. biggest world stage. Everyone pays attention to all of the niche sports, just as you were saying when they're watching yeah. the Olympics. But then also there is the the thing that means the most to you, the, the your why. Like why are you doing it? What is your motivation? And then you've got ten times braver that you founded and you put a lot of yourself into. And I want to talk about why you decided to start this amazing project when you're already so busy. How did you find <laughs> the capacity? to think, okay, I'm going to put all of myself into this and put it online to help other people. Do you know what, Emily? I annoy myself and I and I try not to get annoyed with myself. I try to embrace it. And I guess that's what 10 times braver is. But I'm quite a, I'm just a restless person, right? And I have always in my life been looking for the next thing. And I think that's really common. You know, you get to a certain stage and think, okay, what's next? What's next? And it's really hard to sit and be happy with one thing at a time. And I have anxiety, I've had it all my life, and that can bring very obvious disadvantages. But it also for me brings huge advantages. This restlessness, this restless energy, this nervous energy that I have all the time means that I'm constantly looking for new passions and indulging new passions and trying to learn and it and it um stokes a curiosity in me and a need to learn and a need to grow that I'm not sure I would have if I if I didn't have anxiety um 10 times braver itself came from a bit of an epiphany moment really in my life which ties in with this because I have been I mean I've got right now what I would consider to be my dream job it is it's my dream job it's my dream job and I, and I feel really really privileged to do it because I get to talk about cycling and rugby on television and I get to write about them and these are huge sports in my life and I, I believe so strongly in the power of sport and I've wanted to get have this job for such a long time so I've built towards being for example a cycling presenter I built towards that one specific goal for about five years and I worked really hard at my presenting and my live presenting so I could put myself in a position where I felt comfortable putting myself forward to host Tour de France coverage, for example. Um, and so I got it all and yet I was in this position where I felt a bit stuck because I thought, well, wow, I've, I've got it. I've done that. I've done that. I've achieved it. Now what? Where does that take me next? And I realized that I was feeling a bit stuck because I was looking for that happiness to hang on an external hook. I was looking for some sort of validation as though suddenly my life would change. If I get that, I'll be happy. You know, if I achieve that, I'll be happy. Then that, that that's when I'm going to start living. And I got to that position and I'm like, oh, but I'm still feeling this need inside me of something to be fulfilled. What is that? Where does that go? And so I had this conversation with someone who asked me this question that that really struck a chord with me and was like a lightning bolt really in my life so he said as I was exploring what do I do how do I find meaning in all of this and he said well what would you do if you were 10 times braver I said what he said what would you do if you were 10 times braver and I had no answer at the time but even Asking myself that question was huge because I realized that all through my career, 
and my life really anything that was holding me back I blamed externally and I think we all do this an awful lot we think well I can't do that because such and such or if I was only different I could do that so for me it was things like I was always told always told is a bit of an exaggeration but I was told quite frequently actually that I had the wrong accent for example for national television which is as insulting as it is ridiculous but that's what I was told by senior television people I had no connections I have no connections family connections family friend connections either in broadcast or in sport and that's a huge thing it's a it's a very like many industries there's a lot of nepotism there certainly is in sports broadcasting none of that uh, when I worked in my first newsroom, those who had an Oxbridge degree had a huge advantage, a very visible advantage over the others. And there was the, there were these cliques and connections that I couldn't get into. And so I've always felt like a bit of an outsider in my life. And I've always thought, well, that's why. That's why I can't do X, Y, or Z. But then when I was asked this question, I thought, well, what would I do if I were 10 times braver? Well, hang on a minute. The answer to that lies in here. So... If there's a version of me who would be slightly different or bolder or braver or bigger or doing things, living their lives slightly differently, only if I were braver, then that's huge because I don't need anyone else for that. I don't need to wait on someone to gift me a connection or give me an opportunity. That's something that's entirely within my control. And that sort of aligned with a lot of thinking and learning and self-learning I've been doing for a couple of years. And I thought, right, well, I've got to do something with this, actually. And I've got to face up to the fears that have been holding me back. And I don't mean in, a, in an external way. You know, you would look, like I say, I have my dream job. So if you look from the outside, you think, well, you've got it all. Of course, nobody has it all. Nobody does. But I had to face the fears that I had that were holding me back on a personal level and dig into that a little bit, which I'm still doing, which is what 10 times braver also is. It's a, it's a, an exploration as much as it is a sharing of all of the things that we have in common in our shared fears and, um, our common anxieties and how to overcome them. But it was that one moment that made me realize I have so much more control over my life than I allow myself to think, which is exciting. And it can also be quite scary because then you've got to do something with it. It's fascinating that you say, right, this is my dream job. I've been working towards it for years. You get your dream job, which a lot of people never actually get to that point. Mm. So congrats on getting to that point. But thank then, you. They're like, hold on, I'm not fulfilled in every way. I'm not the happiest. Like happy, the only thing you can guarantee with happiness is that it's fleeting. It's, mm. it's incredible that you can look at someone's life. As you say online, we look, we scroll, we think, oh, mm -hmm. this is incredible. But actually everyone has their things that they're working on inside. Mm -hmm. And to be able to put that output onto 10 times braver and just normalize that actually everyone's got these struggles. Do you know, I'm sure that a lot yeah. of people would be surprised to hear that you have anxiety because you're so confident when you're presenting, you have it all together because it's your job and you act, you're professional when you arrive, arrive to it. So it's fascinating that people don't actually understand that just because mm. somebody put this output online when they're at their professional job, as a lot of us will do when we turn up to our desk or office, whatever it may be, yours just happens to be broadcast to lots of people watching. You're still a human being. Yeah, and being able to put that out is incredible. Well, this is the thing, Emily, because I don't feel it is incredible at all because I think it's really funny whenever you say, oh, you're so confident on air and you look like you've got it all together. Like even saying those words, you look like you've got it all together. Inside my head is 
any different version of mess at every given moment. Now, for me, I've learned to embrace the beautiful mess because that's what life is. But never, I mean, look at the state of me. Look at me. I've got a runny nose. I'm still in my gym kit. You know, I've got my hat on because I've, I've got my slippers on. You know, <laughs> I've got a sick dog sleeping behind me. Like, there's nothing about my life that I think, ta-da! However, I realize that I will never have that ta-da moment if I can't find the happiness right here and now with all of the imperfections. And when you say that happiness is fleeting, I feel like my personal endeavor has become finding a constant happiness. And that's that's maybe the wrong way to describe it but certainly a level of happiness that I can tap into all the time because happiness is fleeting when we attach it to other things because those things come and go and people come and go. And if we rely on other things to make us happy and other people to make us happy, that's not real happiness. That's a feeling that assimilates happiness, but it can't be entirely real because it's not coming from inside us. What, and what my daily mission is to try to find a way that I'm always having the happiness from in here. So I, I, I want to I want to sort of correct the thinking a little minute briefly because I don't want this to come across as toxic positivity at all. Because I feel really strongly the reason the ways we can be happy is recognizing the hardships in our lives as well, not running away from them and not glossing over them. I think you have to really lean into the things that are hard and accept that they're hard. But when we do that, we give ourselves permission and forgiveness to find happiness in genuinely something as simple as a blue sky. I walked my kids to school this morning. The sky was beautiful. But that, that's igniting a happiness in me. And I don't need anyone else to validate that. I don't need to mention the sky to anybody else. I mean, I have done now, but <laughs> I don't need anyone else to come along and rubber stamp that. And, and again, go back to saying about me having the perfect job. Here's a funny thing, because I do for me, right? However, I went through this period two years ago as well, where I was thinking, you know, I'm doing everything I want to do, but is that, is that seem to be enough? And I decided it wasn't. And I thought, well, the big money game, the big profile game, the big status game is football. And I was a huge football fan as a kid. I mean, Liverpool obsessive posters on my wall and everything. Thought I need to tap into my football fandom again. And I need to work in football because that's when I'll be, that's when I'll, Others will see that I've made it. That's when others will see that I'm at the top of my game. And I and I indulged this for a good couple of weeks until I broke it down and I thought, well, well, what would I get out of that? I And what would I have to put into that? I'd have to put in more time away from my family. Do I want to work more than I'm working? No, because I'm already stretched quite to the limit. What will I get in return? Would I get more money? Maybe, maybe not. I'd have to give up other things on the side would I get more status probably but if I'm doing it for status no no amount of status will ever be enough and so I when I say that I have my dream job it's because I've accepted that for me that's what's perfect and for another person it might not be because you know they're on they're on a stepping stone to something else and so I think there's there's a strong element of looking at what you've got as well and deciding what's good about that and not having to always work to it being the dream job in the future if that makes sense for sure and a lot of like looking at yourself internally and analyzing like self-analyzing is such a powerful tool that we can all use and I'm interested to know when you talk about 
striving for happiness in every every day and I love the example that you give of looking at the blue sky because nature is such a good way to start mm. in this but I'm wondering what the perception is between the difference between happiness and having peace because peace is mm. almost something that comes like really from within you don't need yeah. to have a blue sky or looking out where like what's your thoughts on that yeah that's true I think for me happiness is peace and I remember having this conversation with Dr. Steve Peters once, who's um, a very well-renowned, hugely respected psychiatrist. He's incredible. His book. He's amazing. He's amazing. And I find it really funny because um, he was asking me about my goal in life. And I said, well, my goal is to be happy. Obviously, it's not everybody's goal in life. And he said, well, no, it's not everybody's goal. And I thought, what? What do you want other than happiness? But I realized I've thought about that conversation an awful lot. And I realized that happiness to everyone means something different and for me happiness is peace actually and it is that inner balance of what I'm supposed to be and I say supposed to be very much by my own standards um and what I feel my path is and what I feel my purpose is so no I don't rely on the blue sky to make me happy and to find peace but if the blue sky is not there I'll look for something else so on the way back from school, for example, I was walking the dog and I happened to look up and I saw this big old sign. Uh, you know, I live in central Amsterdam and we're blessed to have this beautiful architecture. I saw this big old sign and I thought, I wonder what that's from, just like a spanned across a huge building. And then it got me thinking about the history of that building and all the people who would have worked and lived in that building before. And then my mind took me to horses and carts around the streets here and all the people whose little details of their lives really meant a lot to them. It meant everything to them in the day and now completely forgotten about. And for me, thoughts like that also bring peace because it puts into context my little troubles or worries or annoyances because they'll all be forgotten. All of them will be forgotten, which can bring feelings of despair, to be honest. But it, the counterbalance of that is also a piece because um, I'm looking for awe, I think, all the time. And maybe looking again is the wrong way to describe it. I'm, I'm finding awe in things and I'm finding things to be awed by. And that is quite a, a beautiful thing, I think. But not always easy. You know, when I'm screaming at the kids to get there shoes on in the morning and why are we late why are we late again and come on pick your coat off the floor in those moments I'm not feeling peace but I am feeling happy if anyone were to ask me am I happy screaming at my kids <laughs> maybe not the screaming bit but I'm happy they're there you know so it's about I think always I I practice this thing that I've developed called zooming out zooming out of the moment so if you were to look through your um your phone pictures you know if your memories that pop up and it shows you a moment in time and all you're seeing is the beauty of that moment and you forget any little niggles that are happening around that picture. That's what I try to do in my daily life whenever I'm feeling overwhelmed by something. I'll zoom out and I'll think, okay, what matters? I've got a warm home. I have got kids who are happy and healthy. I mean, they're not always happy, but they're healthy. Um, I'm doing my best and life is quite beautiful and that's good enough. So yeah, I do think for me, happiness is that piece but for everyone it can mean something else but going back to what you say I think it's really important that we try to associate something internal with our happiness because then we've got a chance of having it you know and keeping it exactly and then I just think nature is such an amazing place to start with that I live at the French Alps and I look about and I'm surrounded by these incredible snow-capped mountains 
you live in Amsterdam, which is just like one of the most beautiful cities mm. in the world. Do you know, no matter where everybody lives, like there is so much beauty to be seen and it puts you into perspective of, okay, this is all around me. I am on my own path. Like, let's keep it into perspective here. Okay, let's not self-inflate our own worries. And let's just like take this day as an amazing gift that we can then move on with. Let's just like feel the like the breath in our lungs. Do you know, mm. like, let's ground ourselves and remember we are just human. We are not having to be a superhero and save the entire world like half an hour before and go back in time and then fix everything and do, do all of this. Do you know, one step at a time. I talk about yeah. it. So many people in this podcast, it is literally building blocks. So many athletes, they don't look at their, you know, success based on, oh, I had a really great two weeks before I won this. It's like, no, I've been working for 10 years. I'm putting in the work and they're building blocks. And then I had this massive breakthrough that the world then recognized me as this Mm -hmm. amazing athlete. Well, I haven't changed. I just Mm -hmm. suddenly had this great performance at the right time. But it's because of all the previous work that I've been doing. Yeah, and the value of hard work, I, I think, is something that's fundamental to me. And um, it makes me sad a little bit um, that kids these days are growing up with the um, overwhelming influence of social media and stories that are sold to them about, in inverted commas, overnight successes or you know, influencers who um, are able to, and, and I do not knock the influencing industry whatsoever, Um but I do worry about it and I worry about um, the influencers who are making a ton of money off a lifestyle that is not real. Like I worry about them as well and, and hope that they can find their peace within that because like everything it goes, you know. But I think what my kids are really, really trying to instill in them, the value of, of hard, hard work because it's, it's the one thing people can't take away from you. You know, in all my time whenever, like I say, people were saying I had the wrong accent or... Um, I didn't have these family connections. I just worked really, really, really hard. And you can tell me of the wrong accent. You can tell me you don't like my style, but you will not be able to tell me I've not done work, you know, and that's something that you carry around with you. Um, But I do think it's really, I think it's really hard to be able to say as well that we're always surrounded by these wonderful things that can allow us to put our lives into context because people go through really, really, difficult times in life and I, I would never want to gloss over any of that you know and I've been through depression and try telling me in the depths of depression look at that beautiful sky there's just um you know different levels of where everybody is in life so I think if you can find your own practices and your own uh, methods to tap into any joy and any peace, then that's great. And if you can't, for whatever reason in life right now, maybe you're grieving, maybe maybe you've lost your job and your livelihood and life is really tough. I think also there, you've got to be okay with, you know what, right now I can't find joy. I can't, but know that it can come back again and you'll get through it. But I, I think it's really important that we allow people to not be okay as well. That's the flip side of, of gratitude, obviously. Is, is forgiving yourself for finding everything just bloody hard whenever it is. It's seasons of life that we all go through. Mm. Some of them are so hard and so painful. And that's often something that isn't necessarily put a lot out on social media or sometimes it's almost like glamorized in a way. Yeah. Do you know? Like, yeah. People are crying in Instagram reels, but they still look gorgeous. Do you know? And 
it's like, oh my goodness, like the last thing that someone might think if they're going through this really horrific time is to take their camera out and film themselves. Yeah, yeah. It's like, where is the middle ground of actually feeling so low that, like, it's social media makes you feel so lonely, even though it connects Mm. you to so many people. And you touched on before kind of the the negativity that you can receive as well and not letting that impact your own self-worth and who the core that you think you are, which, again, as I'm sure you will say, it's a lot easier to say that than actually to do that. And I'm sure that you've had to to learn that as well because, you know, you, you wear these amazing outfits when you're presenting, but you've touched on before on social media that people criticize you for them. Or, you know, you mentioned your accent. And how do you actually separate that? Like, because it's not like you go to the office and then you go home. You suddenly have this platform as well that we all have online. How do you separate those negative comments, which for some reason penetrate into our brain a lot more than mm. the positive ones? Yeah, they do. Um, I think it's a process of conscious work, really. You can't just expect to be okay with it. And people will say all the time, oh, just ignore them. Just ignore them. Don't rise to it. Try reading comments, deeply personal comments about yourself and just ignoring it. Our brains aren't wired that way. So it's okay to be triggered by it because... Yeah, I'll get comments on um, how I look or how I dress, but I'll also get comments on my parenting, which is way worse and obviously so personal. But for me, how I've learned to deal with it is the best way to stop caring so much about what other people think is learning to care more about what you think. And that Sounds like a really simple statement. It's a very difficult thing to do. Or certainly it takes a lot of work. So I actually now feel really grateful for having had so much abuse, really, because it's forced me to question myself and question my values and my why in all of this. So I think if you can use criticism as a mirror, as someone literally asking you, are you doing it this way for these reasons? And your ego will flare up and you'll want to defend yourself, but actually just sit with it. Be okay with sitting with the criticism and then ask yourself, am I wearing these clothes to be provocative? Am I? And if you are, you've got your reasons for it. Okay. And if you're not, dive into in your head all the reasons why you're not, or if it helps, write it down. And it helps to reinforce all the reasons that you're doing something. It gives you a foundation for why you're doing it. So I have worked strongly in building those foundations so that I'm okay with people criticizing me. Now, if somebody criticizes me about something new that I've not thought about yet, then it's harder because I've not built up that resilience. I've not built up my argument yet in my own head. But what I do try to do is use that as my mirror so that I'm looking at that version of myself as they're presenting me and saying, is this true to who I am and what I'm trying to do? Yes or no? And if it is true to what I'm trying to do and I don't like it, then it's up to me to change it. But if they're wrong, then I just dig into all the reasons why I do it. And and that has the added advantage then of, of helping you find your inner core and what you stand for. And so there's one gentleman on social media who likes to pop up every now and again and um, use his own life experience whereby he was away from his kids a lot and really regrets it and superimposes that onto my life. And I understand it. And 
he'll accuse me of acting on ego and all my kids want is for me to be there and, and I shouldn't be going away um, from them to do my work. And that's fine. The first time it happened, I was really triggered and I will sometimes enter into debate with people because I also don't think I'm, I'm not going to block everybody who criticizes me because I believe in the power of debate. So I want to engage with that. However, I've realized after a number of interactions that he just wants to keep putting that on me. So that's fine. Again, I don't delete. I don't block him. I just let him have a say however he wants. But it makes me then look at how I'm parenting and what works for us and what doesn't work. And I guess I have that advantage in a way of when I go away for work, I can go away for like three, four weeks at a time sometimes. But it forces me to look at how I'm living my life from afar. And for now, I'm really happy with how we do it. And I'm really happy with how we manage it with the kids and all of the advantages that they have because I go away. And I don't mean financially. Yes, obviously that's that's an important part. But because I am not physically in the home all of the time, my mum and my mother-in-law come over to help all the time because they are angels on this earth and I could not love them anymore. And it means that my kids have this really special bond with their grannies that they didn't have before I traveled for work. And especially these days, I think we lose that connection with the older generation and all the wisdom that they've accumulated and how they see life. And I really think that's important for kids if they can have access to that. So they've got access to their grannies in a way that they wouldn't have. I also have a network of friends here where we all lean on each other. We all lean on each other and help each other out because we understand the juggle. And that's a beautiful thing. And my kids are part of a wider family in that respect, you know, of, of my friends and their kids who they're really good friends with, which they wouldn't have otherwise. And so it works while it works. And if and when it doesn't work, then I change it, you know, and, and there's nothing set in life. I'm not right about my life. I'm just doing it the way that's right for now. So I guess that's a long answer to explain how it is that I manage to care more about what I think. I think about it a lot. I think a lot about how I live my life. I try to live as consciously as possible. That again ties back to how I find peace. I live consciously and aware of what decisions I'm making. Not all the time because that's exhausting and I mess things up all the time. And I know there are parts of my life that if I was really applying my conscious principle to it, I would do better. But it's all good enough for now <laughs> and it makes me happy for now. So I think if we can all learn to not just resist the criticism but listen to it and see what why it's triggering you in a certain way and deal with that and it doesn't really matter who's saying it and why they're saying it leave that up to them their opinion is theirs it's theirs it's got nothing to do with you and probably coming from a dark place in their life but just just see what it can teach you about yourself because that's what matters yeah completely i love the way you you answered that question and the examples that you went into and i think that it just reflects that you've put a lot of thought into it as you say mm. you live consciously and you reflect on things, you realize why you're doing something, how it works for you, and then you will analyze that. And maybe, as you said, it's right for now, but maybe it won't be right in the future. Mm. And that is an amazing thing to be able to do. And I think it's so important for everybody to do that in their life. Just think about, you know, a bit of self-analyzation. Where where am I? Do I love my job? I'll look mm. around and see if I don't like my job. If there are no other jobs, then I will come back with a new found respect for my current job do you know it, yeah it's really positive to do things like that but it does take a lot of time and then it, you, you know a lot of people they they come they go to bed and then they turn their phone off and suddenly they are like hit with like a 
tsunami of thoughts mm. and they don't get to sleep for hours because they've not actually had any time throughout the day to sit and just process yeah. and I think that with this world of go 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 and fast 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 it's something that we almost lack the time to process things come up with thoughts and then of course you will feel more comfortable with your decisions because you've actually thought them through and if you have any changes you know just as you were saying there so my question is how do you factor that in to an already busy life we choose how to use our time and I think we forget that a lot we think that time owns us and it doesn't we lose so much of our time by doing things that you'll never remember that will never add to your life and I'm really guilty of this as well mindless scrolling on social media this morning I was sitting at the um, kitchen table and I, I was up at six this morning getting myself dressed getting the kids lunches and breakfast on the go before they came down and then they came down and we, they had breakfast and they went up and brushed their teeth I had I think a window of maybe five minutes where I knew I thought this is a window here and my hand instinctively went to reach for the phone and I was going to scroll what was I looking for what was I going to find on my phone an endorphin hit at best and that's it and I thought you know what I'm going to sit here and I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to allow my mind to do whatever it wants for five minutes. I think in the end, I've probably actually got three minutes. But that's the thing. Three minutes is not very long. But it is enough to reshape your day in any way. And you don't have to force your thoughts if we're talking about conscious living. It's allowing yourself that peace and silence. Even when it's not silent inside your head, all your thoughts are racing, but everyone's head does that. You're not incapable of controlling your thoughts. You're not incapable of controlling your time. It's simply a question of practice. So I think because of my job as well, like I work in live television where time is measured to the second, right? There is no, let's be two minutes late. That, we're on air. If you're two minutes late, we've got two minutes of nothing happening on live television. And every word that I say is counted. So we're going to break in one minute and then you get a 30 second update and then it's 10, nine, eight. So my entire, my entire career is governed by time. But this is one thing that I learned in my job that I've been able to transfer across. And that is even, even when you think that time is controlling you. Even when I have a producer, a PA in my ear counting 10 seconds to stop talking, I'm still in control of that time. I'm still in control of the words that I say, the way that I say them and the length of time I've taken to say it. And if you can do that within a 10 second window, you can do it in the rest of your life. And I have, like you say, a really busy life, but lo lots and lots and lots and lots of people do. You know, no, I, I've never, I don't know anybody in 2024 who will say, yeah, I'm not very busy. I'm not very busy. I like to chill out. What do you do? What do you do? I chill out a lot. That doesn't happen, right? I have two kids. I have a puppy. I have a husband. I have a house to run. I am full-time mum when I'm at home. And if anybody is a full-time parent or part-time parent, they will know how much work that takes. So when I'm saying about being away from my kids, by the way, when I'm home, I am elbow deep in all of it, right? And that's exhausting mentally and physically and takes such a lot of time. And I have the same problem. I'll get to bed and I'll think I haven't a time to do what I 
wanted to, or, or to relax my head. Um, and so that's something I'm really conscious of. I will schedule time through my day to have 10 minutes of breath work, 10 minutes of sitting in silence, whether you want to call that meditation or whatever you want to call it, 10 minutes of reading a book that is going to teach me something. Or if you want it to be, I love fiction as well. But at the moment, I'm reading um, books that are that are teaching me something. And then when I go to bed, I also now have a practice of, um, I have a 13-minute deep, conscious, connected breathwork session that I do to music. And I will get to bed and think, I can't be bothered. I can't be bothered because I'm making myself do something and it's already 9.30. I don't want to make myself do anything anymore. I want to stop. I want to just lie here and watch Netflix. So I don't wait on motivation to do those things. I commit to them because I tell myself that's the person I am. I'm a person who does my breath work in the evening. I'm a person who does my 30-minute breath work and then I can do what I like. Then I can watch Netflix in bed. And so if you just schedule in these tiny little windows of time during the day and commit to that, don't wait for motivation. Don't wait to want to do something if you want to change your life in any way. Commit to the steps that will take you there and don't think about it. Just do it. And you will see the small little shifts that will make a huge difference to your life. But taking control of your own time in your head is really, really important because you are in charge of your own life in that respect. You can decide how to use your time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And those are some amazing tips for people as well who say, oh, well, I don't have time. So if you don't have time, and this is for me as much as everyone else, look at your screen time. Like, yeah, and that you don't have time. How long have you spent on Instagram or on TikTok or... I don't know, LinkedIn, and, whatever. And here's the thing, though. People will say, people will say, oh, but I want that. I want that time off. That's fine. Just know that you're doing it. It's fine if you decide, I want to spend 30 minutes a day mindlessly scrolling. That's absolutely fine. But be aware that's how you're choosing to use your time. And then just see, is there another way I could be using it? No, I'd still rather do my TikTok, you know, and, and mindless scrolling. Then, then good. Then rename that as time you've taken for yourself, if that's who you want it to be. But don't do that and then say you've got no time. Exactly. It's just being aware of it and owning it because there is no mm. right and there is no wrong. But just exactly. be aware of it. Be aware of the amount of time that you're spending on things. And if you need to change something, then do it. And mm. I want to ask you about, so I'm going to use the example of the Tour de France, the biggest mm. cycling race in the entire calendar. Then, of course, you have the, the male Tour de France, which is three weeks long, and then you go straight into the female Tour de France. I want to ask you, okay, so I am doing this podcast and I am really enjoying the process of it, but I have to be quite mentally sharp. And these mm -hmm. are an hour long conversation. You literally present for like however many hours, each <laughs> yeah. day in, day out. How do you stay so mentally sharp? Because you've got to pronounce all of the riders' names from around the world. So they're not always the easiest to pronounce. Right. You need to remember, you know, who rides for who, where they're going. Like, how do you do it? <laughs> well, this is it. This is a, I don't know if it's a technique or something that I've always done without naming it. But um, when I started riding my bike again as an adult, I committed to doing a sportive, which is uh, a long amateur bike ride, essentially, like a mass organized closed road thing. Um, and I gave myself typically three weeks to train for it and for like 140k or maybe it's 100, no, it's 165k. And I was lucky enough to be interviewing a top professional cyclist. And I said, listen, I need help. Give me some tips. 
And his tip wasn't anything to do with physical training. He said, what you have to do is break it down. Break down the ride into 20, 30 kilometer chunks and tick those off one at a time. And then you've got manageable bite-sized amounts that you're riding. And then before you know it, you've only got 50K left, for example. And this is what I do in my live TV a lot. I will do all of the work for the entire show. Then when we're in it, I am breaking it down into chunks. And I'm thinking about what I'm doing right now and the next thing. At the very most, I'm moving my head slightly to the conversation or the topic that's coming after the next thing but only as a vague direction. Because if you're thinking about the totality of anything, you become overwhelmed by all of it. So for me, it's about breaking everything down. So so in live television, it can be, okay, this is what I've got to do until the first break. Then we're in the break, I can have a breather and reconfigure for the next bit. So I recently started doing rugby on TNT Sports and it terrified me. It properly, properly terrified me for months. Um, because it's a brand new audience. They don't know me. They don't know if I'm any good. I've never, I've done some rugby on Sky before, but not consistently. Um, and every single sport has its own nuances when it comes to my job. So I was terrified. So I did all the research. And again, I got to the first day and it was Ealing Drill Finders against Northampton Saints. I was on air with uh, Lawrence Delalio and Emily Scarrett and, um, Everything was new, meeting the likes of Emily and Lawrence, huge stars in the sport. It was overwhelming. Uh, a new production team, a new venue, everything. And I thought, right, what I've got to do is, I know I've, I've looked at the entire program. What I've got to do is get that first pre-record done. So we do an opening link that is pre-recorded. Do the first pre-record, then I'll bring my head to the live first part of the show. Pre-record done, move on. Then I'm looking at the live show. I'm thinking, get to the first break. So I was I was petrified and I don't always get like this, but I was nervous as we were doing it. You know, I could feel my heart fluttering and my voice was a little bit shaky. And you'd have to know me well, I think, to know that I was nervous, but I was I was terrified. But I'm thinking, if I can get to that first ad break in one piece, we're underway. And I did, and then the rest of it flowed. And I do the same in life, actually. So I don't, I have a big plan of what I'm doing at any given time, but then I totally break it down. So if you're to ask me, so I'm flying to London on Friday for um, rugby. What time is your flight? No idea. I have no idea what time my flight is on Friday. If you ask me on Friday morning what time my flight is, I still won't know, but I know I've done the planning that needs to get me there. So I'll know what time my taxi is. And I'll get in the taxi, then I'll look at what time my flight takes off. If you're going to ask me what time it lands, I don't know yet. I don't know yet because I'm in the taxi. I don't need to worry yet about when I'm landing. And so I do every step by step. And that takes a lot of trust in yourself and not second guessing the process that you've done to get there, you know, because I do a lot of work to make sure I can get to that point without then having to doubt it. And then you save yourself so much mental energy because you know you've done the prep, you know you're going to be okay, and you're going to trust yourself that it's going to work out. So breaking it down into chunks is huge, but what you really need to work on then is trusting that you've done enough that you don't need to keep second guessing it. You know, I don't need, I don't need to be thinking, ah, what time is school pickup? I'll get to school pickup when it's school pickup time and I know that's going to be okay. So it's about breaking it down. But the other thing that I do actually that is also really, really useful in a much more practical sense is breath work. So if I've got a really long day of cycling and not much is happening and I need to sort of upregulate, I need to focus, 
I'll go off to the loose. I'll put the seat down and I will set my timer for five minutes and I will do box breathing for five minutes, really concentrating on pulling my breath in and my energy up on the in-breath and then holding that and then releasing again. So it's breathing in for four, holding the breath for four, out for four, holding for four and visualizing in the shape of a box or a window frame. And that is a really practical, quick little hack that I use before television pretty much all the time, which I find amazing. Have there ever been any situations where you actually weren't able to prepare or something's happened really last minute and it's like, okay, Orla, you're on in two minutes and oh God, you yeah. need to improvise like mad. I want to hear oh some God, stories. Yeah, I love it though. I love it. <laughs> and this is where I don't know how relatable this will be to anybody else, but give me that every single day. And I think it's because I am quite chaotic really uh i mean i hesitate to say that i'm using that as a word so people can identify what that means in terms of everybody's box in life i don't see it as chaos i'm spontaneous i'm reactive um i don't like actually to plan too much in advance i don't like it it freaks me out and it's a problem that i have which is maybe why breaking it down actually works um i love reacting to stuff because i feel like that's when i'm living in the moment you know if I've thought about something too much, it's really hard to dive into the here and now. If something's thrown at me, whoa, I'm going to catch it and I'm going to see what happens, you know? So like as a really basic example, we had um, a stage of the Giro d'Italia, I think it was last year, where um, the weather was horrific. And we planned the entire show. We knew what we were going to do. And then all of a sudden, the stage isn't starting. What do you mean the stage isn't starting? I don't know. The stage isn't starting, but we still got a television show to do in five minutes. So let's go on air. Okay, but what am I saying? I don't know what you're saying, Orla. Just get on air and talk. And so I'm coming on TV and saying, listen, guys, it was supposed to start. We have no idea what's happening. We know the weather is affecting things out there, but we're going to see. And then you dive into the uncertainty. And so with the guys, I was talking about what this does to the riders. You know, how do they deal with this uncertainty? They've done their prep. What's going on right now? How are you reacting to this? And that kind of thing is food for my soul. So I actually love it when things go wrong or or you're thrown in at the deep end because then I think you lower your own bar as well. You know, if you've got a load of time to prepare for something, you think, I should be brilliant at this because I've had so much time to get this right. But actually, if it's all hands to the pump, just getting through is good, you know? So I think it helps you lower your bar and just have a bit of fun with it if you yeah. can embrace that. And you say that uh, you don't think that's relatable, but I think it's so relatable because oh, good. most of the time things go wrong, you know, in life, a lot of the day, and it's how you handle it. It's like, yeah. okay, right, I just, like, you know, it may be an example that you might have, I just need to get the kids to school. And yeah. then you get the kids to school, and you're like, I am a hero, and you know? Like, <laughs> heals from that. Do you know, and you could relate it to anything. It's like, oh my goodness, I have missed my train, I need to get somewhere, and like, the moment you get to that place, you're like, doesn't matter what happens when I go in the door. And yeah. it is perspective and we can control our perspective. Mm. It's just, I feel like we are going back to it, just being aware of what thoughts we're putting into our heads, our perception of ourselves yeah. and the time that we allocate. Grace Beverly, um, she says that you can have everything, but you can't have everything all at once. Yeah. So you need to make choices. Do you know, yeah. you can't be super, super fit while also bossing your career, while also being present and having an amazing social life. But you can have all of that 
but you just need to divide it. Do you know maybe one season you'll have something and not, you'll have to sacrifice something else? I think that's really yeah. important um, because people will say, how do you have it all? And of course, nobody asks guys, how do you have it all? You know, but the last woman and certainly mothers, working mothers, how do you do it all? Um, what is all? You know, everything, everything is a compromise and a sacrifice. But it's celebrating the the breadth of things that you can do rather than focusing on the things that you're you're being restricted from doing because of life circumstances and being okay with that really, you know? Yeah. I think that's really important. It's so true. So I use the example of myself. I'm a twenty-five-year-old woman who has entered the media market uh, space, I guess. Do you know I've started this podcast? What advice would you give to someone like me for navigating this slightly murky, intimidating area of the world? I think it's probably just the same as for everyone in all their life, which is trying to find the you that you want to stay true to. And that's genuinely what matters the most. Um, because it's easy for me to say broadcast is a cutthroat world. But if you work in finance, if you uh, run a company, if you work in anything, you can see the cutthroatness. But the important thing, I think, to emerge the other side is and to find your happiness along the way is trying to be true to whatever your values are really um and and to represent those i think is really 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 important and that's where sadly i don't really see it enough whereby the, the reason we all feel so alone and lonely in our endeavors is because people hide um what they're going through as well which is absolutely fine but we don't shout support enough really and I think that's really important to do. And for me as a woman, especially, I find it really important to shout out and support other women. Um, but, you know, I've been subject to bullying at work, for example, when people have come up to me afterwards and said, I'm really sorry, I should have said something at the time. And you're thinking, yeah, you should have done, actually. And you didn't. And so for me now, I will always stand up for other people being bullied in a workplace, always. And it doesn't necessarily make any difference. doesn't make any difference but you want to be on the right side of all of that, you know? Um, so I think it's about making sure whatever it is that you're doing, that you're doing it for the reason that you still want to do it for um, and trying not to let that external, the need for external validation, which is entirely natural and normal, trying to let, not to let that overwhelm the decisions that you make because then you'll end up on a path that doesn't quite match with what you want and you won't be able to work out why it's not right. You know, for a long time, like I said, I was searching for um, that. That's what seemed to be good. You know, whenever I moved from news into sport, it was a other sort as a fall from grace, you know, because um, I had been Ireland correspondent and then news correspondent and Olympics correspondent. And these are all worlds in which you move with politicians and, um, you know, there's international travel. And then I went to sport and my colleagues were like, oh, she can't handle it. She can't do it. And actually, it was the best thing that I could have done for me. And it didn't really matter that no one else understood it because I was on the verge of a breakdown at that stage. And I had to save myself. But I'd been pushing so hard to realize an ambition that I'd had when I was 16, maybe, at the age of 26, that you realize that that's not what I want because I've wanted it maybe for different reasons. Now that I'm in the middle of it, what do I want from this bit? You know, and sort of constantly questioning as you go. It's probably some very specific media advice, really. Yeah, the media advice I would say is just do the hard work. Just do the hard work, you know? Like exactly. Again, I think a lot of people think success is instant and overnight. Um, and it might be, 
But then what happens when that version of success dies away? What have you got to fall back on? As long as you've got your hard work to fall back on and your work ethic, that's what matters the most, really. It's quite an interesting concept, actually, that people say that the sooner that you kind of have that big spike of achievement, if you start something and you succeed really early on, then almost the bar is so high that everything else that comes after that seems unworthy because you've not met that. Say you put a reel out and it gets millions of views and then every other reel gets like, maybe 100k which is a serious amount of people yeah who are doing it. like that is that is so good you'll just be like, oh, whatever do you know whereas if you work away and go up do the hard work it's slower it's harder but it's probably more sustainable it just yeah everyone but yeah and and it's also about you know if that really goes viral what does that mean to you yeah. what does that mean to you is, is that is that what you're trying for viral reels and why because you're going to fall short of that a lot. So you've got to dig into exactly what it is you're trying to do with that viral reel and hold on to that for when the reel gets three views or five views, as it might do. And it's not you know, so it's either. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is really hard. And it's a, it's a lifelong work, I think, but it's an important one. Looking ahead for 10 times braver, what can we expect to see in 2024 and beyond for this amazing project? Uh, well, for this year, we've got some really fun things lined up. And by fun, I mean exciting, meaningful, but also fun, like traditional fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm doing a few um, retreats in conjunction with different people. One of them hasn't been set up yet, so I will share when I can. The other one is it's with LeBlanc, which is a cycling holiday company, but like amazing people, amazing people. And they brought me in to do their wellness program. So we're going to Ibiza in October to have a festival with um pete tong uh with me running the wellness with if you know cycling peter sagan is leading the cycling it's it's rudimental or playing it's absolutely huge it's like honestly it makes me cry it makes me cry um so i'm doing that i'm doing a few more in real life events as well and what i really want to do is just build this community i find such meaning in the real life stuff so so it's funny because the perception would be to build Instagram and to have a whole army of followers on Instagram and commit to that. And I do need to work in that direction as well. But for me, where I get meaning is real life. And that's not where people are shouting. It's not where you're getting a whole lot of attention because the real life stuff is breath work. It's meditation. It's workshops. It's talking about fear and the way that it permeates our life and the way that we try to have to face it to overcome it. And they're not big, sexy things in the way that social media is. But that's where I want to take it because I think that's where I can maybe give and find meaning. So it's the real life stuff. I mean, eventually I'd love to do my own festivals um, that are just celebration of dance and music and joy and poetry and everything that sings to my soul and meditation and breath work. And um, that's where I'd like to take it. Um, So yeah, I've got a lot of plans and then I'm just sort of, throwing bits out there and see what lands really not committing to one of them being a version of success but I've got lots of different ways in which I can make it a success for me and then just seeing which one sticks really which is a lot of fun yeah super exciting and really nice to see I I I guess what sticks as well because it is fluid and there's so many plans as it evolves and if someone wants to follow you online and keep up to date with 10 times braver and see what you're up to and what, how it all unf- unfolds through this year. Where should they go? They should please go to at 10 times braver. I have my own social um, handle as well, at sports Orla, where I also 
share lots of stuff from my work life, the TV stuff, the more glamorous stuff. So the, the glam on at Sports Orla, it's the haggard beanie in the kitchen on at 10 times braver. So one thing I'm really excited by is, and this is where not planning things, I think works beautifully when serendipity plays a hand. Um, so I designed and created my own socks, 10 times braver socks, which I'm actually, I'm wearing a pair of them right now. I should maybe take one off and show you, um, which I produced for Christmas. But also now I've just teamed up with a charity, a rugby charity called Loose Heads, Heads with a Z, which is promoting mental health discussions in rugby, which I find really powerful because it's still quite a male dominated space. And I feel like that's where we need the conversations um, as much as anywhere. So all proceeds from my socks, that's the little logo there, mm -hmm. goes to um, Loose Heads. So you can still get them. And what I love about them, uh, they've just come off my feet, so I should do this, but anyway, there's, there's B on one sock and then brave on the other and i feel like for me it's like that little grinding thing i put on these socks in the morning and i think okay be brave be brave and it and they're lovely quality so i like to touch them and be like this is my this is my brave tapping here um so yeah you can also get the socks and we'll be rolling out different things that you can buy as well that are mm -hmm. that are meaningful in some way I'll link those in the show notes as well so everyone can check that out and thank thanks you so much for joining orla it's been a pleasure Thank you so much, Emily. Thank you for your time.